I think that passion has kept me able to overcome adversity because I always bring it back to why am I doing this sport? What is my why? And my why is that ingrained in my heart is that I get to be out there in the mountains. So I will do whatever I can do to get back to that moment. The Alpha Talks podcast crafts you and your business into an alpha, not for the faint-hearted. I am Sefer Hakim, serial entrepreneur and your success mentor, founder of the Alpha Movement, and people call me the Alpha. And that's for a reason, of course. With 20 plus years of experience and eight figures portfolio of businesses, myself and the show guests will be striking thunder of top-notch listening in business and mindset. No bull, just first-class value, not like others. So join us now to become your own version of an alpha. So welcome back, Alphas, to a new episode of the Alpha Talks podcast. Today, we have a very special guest joining us, a name synonym with the alpine skiing greatness. Throughout her career, she represented Great Britain in four consecutive Winter Olympics, leaving an incredible mark on the world stage. Her fearless skiing style and underlying pursuit of excellence have inspired countless aspiring athletes and dreamers around the globe. Today, we dive into the mind of a true alpha, someone who has not only conquered the slopes, but also made an impact in business and life. We'll explore her early days, her triumphs and challenges as an Olympian, her experiences as a ski coach, her roles as a brand ambassador, and of course, the wisdom she imparts as the mother of two. She is a four-time Winter Olympian, seven times British national overall champion, the only British female skier to ever win a run in a World Cup and a BBC Ski Sunday presenter. Welcome, Chemi Alcott. Pleasure having you with us today. Hi, it's very, very great to be here. Very interesting to be described as fearless, actually, because I embraced the fear that I felt. And actually, throughout stages of my career, it did inhibit my performance and it held me back. So to be seen as fearless now means that I've definitely done something right. But also, I really want to point out early on in this podcast, that it is great to be in a position where you can feel fear because fear is essential to push yourself out of your comfort zone. So I think a lot of people who hear fearless think, oh my gosh, she's she's incredibly brave. Well, brave is not not feeling fear. It's being scared, but saying yes anyway. So early on, I just want to point that out that I get scared of a lot of things. Even though I threw myself down mountains at 90 miles an hour, I am scared on a daily basis of but that doesn't stop you. It doesn't stop you. No. That's the thing. No, it doesn't stop me. It actually heightens my performance because I think I, I feel scared and I feel fear because I care about what I'm doing and I care about the result. And so that fear is very healthy. We will go into this in details, but let's start a little bit early in the early days. What initially sparked your interest in skiing and how did you get started in this sport? I mean, it's quite strange to be a Londoner and a ski racer. Those two don't really intertwine. Um, but I've always kind of gone against the mold. Um, but the truth is I'm the youngest of a big family, a big ski mad family. My dad was a rugby player and my mum was a swimmer. So I say I got his glutes and her lungs and I was genetically made to be this like mountain goat. But the truth is I've got older brothers. And by the time I was born, my eldest brother had been talent ID by the French ski school. 
who uh, thought he could be really good. So he went into racing and I thought he was cool and I wanted to do it too. And I started at 18 months old, which is pretty young. Uh, my kids are actually younger than that, which is mental. Um, but I think the youngest siblings in families, they don't really have much choice. It's like, right, we're doing this. You either partake or you're going to miss out. <laughs> <laughs> Can't understand. Yeah. But tell me, what did you feel when you first represented Great Britain in the Winter Olympics? And what did that experience mean to you? I mean, it was a long process to get to the Winter Olympics. I gave myself like goals along the way. Uh, I used to be a tennis player as well. So I thought I was going to be a tennis player in the summer and a ski racer in the winter. Um, but I had to forego that and focus on skiing. Um, and I won the World Children's Olympics at 11. And that's when I thought, okay, this, this could really be my thing. Um, and then I had some quite good successes when I was very young before coming into international levels. I got two medals in the Youth Olympics. And then I, six months after leaving school, I was on my way to my first Olympics in Salt Lake. And it was incredible. I mean, the Olympics, especially being British, is what it's all about. Even though there's the World Cup tour, which is on a, every winter, and it's really imperative to chip away at your world rankings so that you don't have a higher start number and have ruts. It's all about the Olympics. And so to, to be going at 19 years old, I mean, I was pretty fresh, I was pretty young, I was pretty naive. Um, but it was incredible to be part of a team. You know, I'd always grown up in an individual sport. So to be part of something bigger than yourself that early on is very exciting. And representing your country as well. It's like a country ambassador in a form. Yeah, exactly. You're, you know, you're not an individual. You're wearing your, your country on your sleeves, on your, on your heart. Um, and you're doing it not just for you, but all the people who tune in. I mean, the Olympics is quite a challenge because you spend 10,000 hours of training and you have two minutes to show the world what you're going to do with it. Exactly. And you need to get lucky to get to get a top performance. Um, it's not just about being talented. You do need a little bit of luck on your side. Um, so so you is, believe in luck? I think you manifest your own luck. I think it's luck is down to hard graft. Um, but at, at some stage, you need to let go of the work and just fly. I tried to force my performance quite a lot in my early years. And you can't force a sport like ski racing. There are, there are sports out there that you can excel at if, you, if you're stronger than everyone else. Then you'll win. In skiing, if you're stronger than everyone else, it doesn't mean you'll be faster. Because you've got to have that flow. And that flow state is actually having the freedom to let your muscles go. Whereas I tried to make things happen quite a lot. And actually... It's a control thing. I still am. A, I, unbelievably, I'm a control freak now. Even though I used to be a downhill ski racer, I I control my madness. Mm -hmm. But tell me, being the only British female skier to compete in four Olympics, how did you manage the pressure and the expectations that comes around you? I mean, I, I was out there living my dream. I think you never feel more pressure than you put on yourself. Um, early on in my career, when I was talent ID to be one of the best in the world and I had a lot of sponsorships I did struggle I had this fear of managing everyone else's expectations of me so external pressures and I worried that I couldn't fulfill those and I got into a very dangerous cycle of performance where I chose to be at 80% of the best of myself um, and in, in training I was really fast but in races I could never translate that speed and I held something back I kept 20% in my back pocket to to almost self-validate why I wasn't winning because I had this fear of letting everyone down, all these people in my team, sponsors. So I, I chose to underperform, actually, essentially, which, which is really hard because those are my healthiest years. Those are my years where I was my most talented. 
Um, but it's also an amazing life lesson because so many people live within themselves, live in their comfort zone because it's an easier way to live. 80% of yourself is easy. You're not going to have the emotional and physical roller coaster of being 100% and being incredible, but also making mistakes. So you're going to have this like neutral level of excitement in your life, which some people want, but actually it's, it's limiting. You're not getting personal growth that way. And I spent eight years of my life in that zone. And then I put myself in a position when I won the run that you talked about in a World Cup where I could go all out. And I was like, right, this is the run that I'm going to try it. And and I won that run. So I proved to myself that day that if I did go 100%, it was good enough. Unfortunately, after that, I then started getting injured, like some big, big injuries. Um, so it wasn't all plain sailing, but it was a much more satisfactory way to live because I was going out there on my limit. Every single time I pushed out that start gate, that was the best that I could be. Totally agree. But tell me, how do you believe that participating in such events like the Olympics uh, contributed to your personal growth and mindset? Because absolutely these type of events or like competitions put the person in a totally different level. I think, you know, you know, you're out there against the, the best in the world. It's a moment that can change your life forever. And my dream was always to win Olympic gold, but I didn't achieve that dream. But I, I stand by the fact that I had the confidence to keep chasing that dream and to keep pushing myself into that zone of excellence. Because I think we always look at searching for perfection, but perfection is very limiting. Whereas excellence, it's a, it's a rolling progression where there is no end goal. And so I think the Olympics helps you to kind of have that mindset. But also sport, having a life in sport, it teaches you a huge amount of resilience and humility and perseverance. Um, there are a lot of injuries you got to pick yourself up from rock bottom some days not the days that you share on social media but sometimes you go out there and it's minus 30 and it's foggy and it's horrendous and you've still got to go out there and train so I think I think it teaches you that it's it's a tough graph to get to the top but it's worth it you know there's a statement that says like you can't be the best unless you compete with the best and I think being in the Olympics it's a it's a great example for that talking about the injuries that you mentioned you faced multiple injuries throughout your career. Like, to be exact, you've broken 49 bones. That's a lot. How did you maintain your motivation and to bounce back from this, this kind of setback? Well, actually, every time I got injured was evidence of me pushing my limits. So every scar I have, every surgery I've had is evidence that I had the confidence that day to go all out. And in sports like ski racing, there is a fine line between success and disaster. You're going to either push yourself to the very best you can be, or you're going to push yourself over that. And when you push yourself over that and you're going at big speeds with G-force, you're going to get hurt. So I think for me, I'm really proud of those injuries. Although they were very tough and painful and challenging, they were moments where I had the confidence to go all out. So if I didn't have them, then I couldn't have come back and be my very best. Why didn't you quit? It didn't come to you that I'm done. I'll quit. All these injuries, I'm down. I think um, I think I realized that the grass wasn't greener. I mean, I absolutely love skiing. I never became a ski racer because I thought I'd make money or be famous. I did it because I absolutely love it. And I still love it, which is why I'm so honored to be working in, in a TV show that is all about the sport that I used to do and my business and everything I do. I mean, look at the my background yes. there. That's the backside of my blog. Totally visible. <laughs> Very weirdly, I live in London, but my life is... Is, is the mountains and um and I think that passion has kept me able to overcome adversity because I always bring it back to why am I doing this sport 
what is my why? And my why is that ingrained in my heart is that I get to be out there in the mountains. So I will do whatever I can do to get back to that moment. You've been a strong advocate for women in sports and the skiing community in general. Can you share some insights into the importance of diversity and inclusivity in sports? Yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky to come from a sport where there is a lot of equality in terms of worldwide viewing figures and pay um, and respect. But when I got into the sport when I was younger, I was quite surprised the first few years I was on World Cup that the girls who I'd held as my idols, who I was now racing against, didn't all have the confidence to be feminine. A lot of them cut their hair off and started to walk like a man because they thought that because they were participating in a, in a dangerous sport, that if they were almost their femininity was holding them back. So they decided to act like men. And then I was very fortunate to be part of the Lindsay Vonn era, who's the greatest skier of all time, um, but who also cared about how she looked. Like she would get up in the morning and put eyeliner on. And for us, that was really inspirational because it showed that we could be fast and female. We could care about how we looked and our confidence in ourselves. Because skiing and downhill is all about confidence. So actually, if you take away the aesthetic of confidence, that will start eating into you. Um, so that was an amazing to kind of be part of that legacy of that change. You know, people have throughout my career judged me sometimes for how I've looked and even working on TV now, who's this Dolly Bird? But when you have the results to back it up, I, I don't think anyone can have a, a second word. True, true, absolutely. And I like the insight of, um, like, yes, a lot of um, women, when they go into like an adventure sport, risky sports, they try to hide the feminine part. It's absolutely right. I love this insight. But tell me, as a formal Olympic athlete you and a current coach right now, how do you balance between your personal life, business, and all the passion projects that you run? I mean, I, I don't, really. I live at 100 miles an hour. I drink far too much coffee. I love saying yes to things. So you drink a lot of coffee. I drink yeah, a lot of coffee. That's my vice. Yeah, exactly. I'm actually, I'm actually having a tea now because <laughs> I can't tell you how many I've had today. Yeah. Um, but I think I, think I just, I just want to live life hard right now. And I, I want to push myself to see what I can do. And I have so many passions. I'm so fortunate to, to work with charities that I believe in, to do coaching and help create the, the positivity of the next generation through the sport I love, that there's, there's nothing that I would drop. And actually, I've worked really hard to keep my brand alive. And I've got uh, incredible brand sponsors. I work with a lot of startup companies in the UK who want someone to have a voice for them. And I'm really proud of that. I'm really honored for that. It does mean I'm very, very busy. Um, and I do feel quite a lot of motherhood guilt in the winter. I'm away a lot. Uh, but I try and give a lot back in the summers. And I'm very, very present in the summers. So, you know, it is is a juggling act. True. I'm like that swan in the river. Yeah. I look like I'm cruising. Yeah. But underneath, my legs are True. like, ah, which True. way is downstream? Absolutely. Because, you know, I also believe the same. There is no what we call a balance. It's there are a particular period of time that you focus on a part in a particular area and then you make it up in the next part or whatever. So it's I agree, yeah. More or less a work life, let's put it integration rather than a balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. The second thing which is important to know from your side, what strategies do you use to manage the stress and maintain I would say being positive, having the vibes on? Now I see you, you told me that you're going to be running out after this interview and so on and so forth. How do you manage to keep these vibes up? So, I mean, I think health and well-being is, is integral. I have to train. 
I have to do something physical to have that escapism every single day. And a lot of people don't have the confidence, especially mums, to carve that time out for themselves. But I know that if I give myself an hour in the gym, start of every day, or whatever, it doesn't mean in the gym, anything, surfing, whatever it is, I will be a better mum after. Um, I will be able to enjoy my food during the day. I love food. And and I do have a maybe an unhealthy relationship with food because if I don't train, I don't enjoy it as much. But that is all part of my well-being. I do sleep a lot. I am on, on, on until 9 p.m. And then I, I like switch off. I can't handle life after 9 p.m. I'm not a big party person. Um, when I get booked for keynote speaking and then I'm after dinner at 11 p.m., that does panic me. You're shut down. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I'm shut I'm down. I'm like, I'm on stage. I, ho- I almost hope I get nervous so that I can bring some excited energy. But I think, um, yeah, I think putting yourself first is something we're not very good at. Listening inward. What do you need today? is something that I as an athlete was taught every single day. It's a selfish existence. What what do I need to be better, stronger, faster? And actually, I've tried to keep that going into motherhood, into business. What can I do today for me to make me better at recording this podcast in a minute or better at this? And um, as you can see, you know, I don't spend much time cleaning because that's a waste of my time. True, true. I just hide everything. <laughs> I mean, Somewhere, yeah, this true. is my office. I've got yeah. surfboards. I've got everything in here. True, true, true. Let's go a little bit about fear. Like alpine skiing is an adrenaline fueled and high risk sport, an extremely high risk sport. How do you manage fear and how you use it for your advantage at the end? Yeah, well, first of all, I think fear is great. We, we as a society talk negatively about fear. It's got a real uh, stigma attached to it as an emotion, but it's important. Without fear, we're not pushing ourselves out of comfort zone. So we're not really existing at the very best we can be. So fear is great. Saying, oh my gosh, I'm scared. You know, I always say to little kids, right, those, those, those butterflies you've got in your stomach, we're going to turn those into dragon wings as soon as you're ready to perform. Because that is going to make you a better version of yourself, having that appreciation and respect. I mean, we throw ourselves down mountains for a living. You respect the mountains. But you also want to push your limit on them, which is why there's there's a big danger involved. But I think I think the fear it has to be incremental for most people. So a lot of people say, how how can I do such and such? This is my goal. But that was my second question: How people can yeah. turn fear into yeah. courage? So so you you have to incrementally you have to tiptoe towards it. You can't really jump into fear. Like sometimes you can pull it off for one performance, but then you'll be blocked forever. So you have to like slowly go towards it. So for skiing, for instance, if you want to ski a black run, you've got to find a black run that has a really nice steep to a flat run out. That is how you can push your limit on that. So it's about going there, but going there in a less risky environment. And then next time you, you make it a harder piece and, and you keep pushing it. And pushing I love it. this about fear, like really to hit, to break the fear. First of all, we should not be afraid of fear again. It's move it to a bit of courage just to take it step by step because sometimes people really when they see fear they become paralyzed but if you really yeah. take it step by step you will actually turn this fear to your achievement and goals i totally love this step by step also it's it's totally within your control so you know there's a fear bubble i like the bubble analogy actually i think it's Aunt middleton who talks about it because you get in that fear bubble but also you can only pop it from the inside so you choose when you're ready to completely go. So you slowly go in towards this bubble. Okay, I've done this, this, this. I'm ready now. And then it's your choice. You've taken control. True. Love this one. Love this one. Let's talk a, a little bit about coaching, ski coaching. So you play a vital role in developing young athletes. How do you instill leadership 
uh, qualities and winning mindset in your students? Oh, well, that's not my focus. I just want them to have fun. I, I believe that happy young kids who are doing sport can achieve a lot. Through that, they can learn to be resilient, to pick themselves up when they have a poor performance, if they enjoy it and they love it. We do gratitude diaries. So every single day we write a diary of three things that I've done well today, three opportunities for tomorrow, and really importantly, one thing that made me laugh. And if you go to bed at night and you haven't fulfilled all those, then you need to get up, go away, and do something. It might be 20 press-ups or something that makes you feel like you've achieved. Because it's, it's, it's knowing that every moment is a moment to evolve and every day is that. And, and your evolution doesn't have to be always positive. In fact, your evolution needs to be, today, I made this massive mistake. Today, I failed. And I've learned this and this and this from it, which is why next time when I address the situation, I will act differently and then I will win. So I have this life motto that I never lose, either I win or I learn. And I think that is what I go through. Every time I fail, I don't fail, I learn. Do you, do you believe in that the ultimate uh, form of success is happiness? Because you said like you want your, the, the teenager, the young people to be happy. So the ultimate success is happiness. True. Yeah, it's happiness. I mean, in a more profound way, it's also having the confidence to, to take risk. I think that for me is success, like being waking up and knowing that you can say yes to something that you're not 100% sure that you can achieve, but you'll say yes anyway, because you've got the confidence within you to take on that risk. That is also success. For me as an entrepreneur, I'm saying that skiing is kind of equal to entrepreneurship because it can be like physically and mentally demanding. How do you help your athletes to develop this resilience and mental tough face, the challenges and setbacks? Well, it, it comes from their why, like in, in business as well, your why. Are you doing something because it makes you happy because you believe in it? You know, if you, if you believe that you're making a difference to the world, then you can overcome adversity. If you're doing something because at the end of the day, all you want to see is some money on the table. If, it, if it's an empty feeling, you're not going to be able to overcome challenges. Those hurdles that come up, they're going to take you down. But if you can go back to your why and be like, right, I am driven by passion. This passion is going to help me climb those mountains, literally. I'm, I'm going to be able to do this. Then you will be able to continue on on an upward trend of, of achieving more, both personally and professionally. So you tell me that you, for your students, you try to discover the why together, right? That's the, yeah. yeah. And that keeps yeah. them moving, uh, builds the resilience, the confidence. You know, some of them, you know, a small percentage of them end up winning because their why is passion. You know, just because I'm saying passion, it's not airy-fairy. It doesn't mean that we don't care about results. With passion, we bring out their best performance. So we get the result. I think that actually being outcome-driven and just saying, I want to win, is, is a really empty goal to have. You know, like you, you mentioned why in many parts of this interview now, like uh, the why, the why, the why. And what I see around me, a lot of people, they don't know the real why. They work around or walk around with their artificial why. You know, the first layer of a why. It's not the really deep why. Because I believe personally, if you really have the deep why, you found it and you really live day by day with it, you will be able to achieve whatever you set for yourself. And I love that you do this with the students that you have. But I think it's, it's really easy to say that, but a lot of people, they fall into a career, they fall into relationships and, and they sometimes don't give themselves space. Like 
as an athlete, we're so much taught to think about how we're feeling and what we need that actually most people don't have that. Most people can't wake up in the morning and say, oh, what physically does my body need? What does my head need today? People don't ever put themselves first, which is why they don't give them the mindset to have the space to understand what their profound deepness and their why is. So actually it's, you know, sometimes taking time out of where you are, you know, and going, finding silence, finding, I mean, last year we, we rafted the Amazon. Um, we did three days, 180 kilometers, and there was a lot of quiet times for, for thinking. And I don't normally like quiet times for thinking, but actually they give you self your space to, to think about your, your goals, where you're going and, and not be afraid to make change. People fall into things and they're like, oh, it's easier if I just keep doing this. Totally agree. Is it easier if you're not happy? No. Totally agree. How do you define leadership? Because, and what qualities do you believe that makes an effective leader? At the end of the day, we are leaders in our community. So how do you define leadership for yourself? I think leadership is listening, is democracy in thinking about what does everyone need to exist in a in a happy, I mean, I'm sounding kind of crazy with all this happiness stuff, but I, I think it's delegation. I'm not very good at delegation, actually. And that's my leadership weakness. Um, but it's, it's listening to everyone. It's defining what you're good at and knowing that you can't be good at everything. So you delegate things to other people in your community who are better at than you. I mean, I love trusting people when when they are the professionals at it it's like right okay i give myself i mean i i get my hair and makeup done telly and they're like what do you want today i'm like well you tell me what do you think you're the pro <laughs> just do your do your thing True. and i think that's quite fun for them because they are the professionals they look at you and you are their canvas so let let other people use their canvases to create what their magic they can and have your input where you can i think that is true leadership absolutely and i believe as well um, with this the leading by example like you're an example of the people that you lead. And with all what you're doing now, you're an example for your students. So I, I also believe that leading by example is the best thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and showing the mistakes. Yeah. I mean, this leadership thing can also go to parenting. A lot of parents want to inspire their kids by showing them how incredibly True. you know successful they are and what they're achieving in business. But it's like, well, no, show them that you failed mm -hmm. and you bounced back. I love this one. Kids mm -hmm. need to see that. True. And so do leaders need to do that. Leaders need to give their team confidence to take risks and to not judge mistakes, instead celebrate them. True, absolutely true. Let's talk a little bit about some actionable steps that individuals, individuals can take to have what I call the alpha mindset and achieve the goals. What do you think? Action steps. I think self-reflection, you know, what, whatever happens, whether you've won, or you've made a mistake, you've got to think about, okay, what led up to that? We, we, we often do it uh, when we achieve something, but when we make mistakes, we kind of want to bury it under the carpet and never listen to it again. So what could you have done differently? Reflect on that and connect it to, to your real life. In fact, that's something that I've taken from, um, I'm on the board for Right to Play, which is a charity that I've been an ambassador for a long, long time. And they use sport to teach children around the world life skills, imperative life skills in war-torn areas, and it's just incredible the power that words and the language can have. And we sometimes forget that. We sometimes forget the power of self-talk. Um, so I think that's one. I think goal setting is really tough. I know a lot of people love it. I find it very, very challenging because I think it's very hard to pinpoint. Uh, you know, you goal set here and you overachieve. So that means you weren't confident enough or you're here and you set your goal too high. My goal is to just be a better version of myself every single day. So that when I go to bed at night, I can look in the mirror and say, okay, whatever I 
whatever I did today, whatever emotions I had or achievements or mistakes I made, I am a better version of who I was yesterday. Better every And that's day. all you can do. Better yeah. every day. But as I understand now, you do journaling every day, right? You journaling every day. You, you do self-reflection. Yeah, I mean, my, my journaling, this is really important, doesn't have to be writing down because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't have time. My journaling is just reflection. Like you can do it to yourself in the mirror. You can do it internally, just giving yourself space to, to think. Mm -hmm. Love that. What advice would you give to aspiring skiers who are navigating their own journey now? I mean, I'm, I'm jealous. I'm so excited for aspiring skiers who've got their life ahead of them. Um, it's, an, it's an amazing sport. It's a sport where you make incredible friendships. I think because there's the danger aspect, you, there's not much jealousy. You respect people who ski faster than you. You're in an amazing, probably I think, in, obviously I'm biased, the world's best community is, is the sports, the adrenaline sports community. I think remember remember that not every day is going to be a great day especially in alpine skiing there's a lot of risk involved to be your best a lot of crashing a lot of injuries but you've got to just come back to those moments where you have that freedom to fly on the mountain because nothing beats it mm, love that let's go to, to another advice how can an ind individual maintain a positive and a winning mindset even there are a lot of challenges what kind of things that you can advise well, the way I see it is positivity is a choice. You choose positivity or else way. There's a lot of studies out there that show that when your brain performs positively, even if you're self-talking, even if you're, you know, cheating the system and telling yourself that you're happy, you perform 30% better just by telling yourself that you're happy. Just if you wake up and, you know, you're having a blue day, a sad day, you go to that mirror and you tell yourself three gratitudes. You look at yourself and say, these are things that I am really grateful for that are part of my life right now. You will start to feel those endorphins going. Obviously, there's exercise that helps and that mental well-being, but you can choose positively. Like you just look at your situation, whatever it may be. I mean, there are some dark times that you feel. When I was told that I would never ski race again, that was a, a low moment for me. But I mean, I, I proved them wrong, which is a very satisfactory concept of I mean it's very motivating someone telling you you can't do something and then you do it again but I just think I just think you need to go back to it's a choice everything is a choice how you control your mental emotions it's up to you true I always tell my team like to whatever a problem happens face it with a smile first whatever yeah. even if it's a disaster face it with a smile first totally agree with this the last question is, it's going to be always also about habits. Like what habits or routines do you believe contribute to your success as an athlete and as a coach, of course? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I like to look at the concept that no stone is unturned. Right. What can I do better physically? What can I do better mentally? What can I do better with my lifestyle? Are my finances in order? Like I look at the whole spectrum of things that I care about. Are my family happy? Do I have a home to go back to? Like all of this. And I think, right, if I tick every single one of these boxes, then I can fly. I can be free. If one of those boxes, if you think about it like a cog system or a wheel on a car, you know, you've got every arm has a different factor in your life. And if one of those is, is not working or it's an opportunity for improvement, it will slow down, which means it lets the whole wheel slow down. And you don't want that. You want it to be efficient. You want it to have well-oiled machines. So I think that's something that, I used as an athlete and I still use now. Mm -hmm. But do you have a routine, a daily routine that you, every day you have to do this, this and that? No, I'd love to. 
I think being a mum to two young kids, I mean, I can't control that anymore. I'd love to have eight, nine hours sleep a night. I'd love to do yoga first thing in the morning, um, but I but I can't. So I just try and take the moments that I can. Um, I like to train early on in the day. As I said before, that helps my mindset. I like to carve out. I do a lot of, I have a paper diary. I'm really old school. I don't like electronic diaries and I and I do schedule in things throughout the day. But then if things wander off, I don't allow myself to be stressed by a diversion. I enjoy the diversion. A lot of people, yeah. You know, a lot of people get pissed when they like they have a schedule and they didn't fulfill it and it breaks them completely. No, exactly. It's like I'm, I remember when I was pregnant, you have this birth plan of how you want your child to come into the world. And actually, that's super stressful because mine went really off piste and I didn't get what I wanted either time. And I was like, what's the point in that? Because your body is so powerful. It's going to do what it's going to do. At that moment, you can't control it. So actually having this idea that you want a water birth is okay. But when you go off piste from that, which is very high consequence, high, you know, highly likely to happen, you've got to go with it. You've got to flow with it. True. Totally agree. Thank you very much, Jamie. It's been a pleasure meeting and talking to you. Hope you really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Bye. That wraps up another inspiring episode of today's show. I hope that this episode has ignited your inner alpha and left you feeling inspired and motivated and ready to conquer any challenge that comes your way. Remember, alphas aren't born, they're made. It's, about not, it's not about dominating others. It's about embracing your authenticity, leading with integrity, and making a positive impact on the world. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the Alpha Talks on your favorite po uh, podcast platforms. Leave us a review and share with your fellow Alphas. Let's create a movement of Alphas supporting one another. The world needs more Alphas like you. Until next time, stay bold, stay driven, and be an Alpha. That wraps another inspiring episode of today's show. I hope that this episode has ignited your inner alpha and left you feeling inspired, motivated, and ready to conquer any challenge that comes your way. Remember, alphas aren't born, they're made. It isn't about dominating others. It's about embracing your authenticity, leading with integrity, and making a positive impact on the world. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the Alpha Talks on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a review and share the podcast with your fellow alphas. Also connect with us on social media at Safer Hakim. Share your thoughts, insight, and stories of personal and business growth with us. Let's create a movement of alphas supporting one another. The world needs more alphas like you exactly. Until next time, stay bold, stay driven, and stay alpha.